I have Ali Al-Raj, um, who is uh, in the Department of Neurosurgery at University of Illinois uh, at Chicago. And Ali has an Editor's Choice article, which is slated to be published in the October issue of JNIS. Uh, the title of Ali's article is Increased Prevalence and Rupture Status of Feeder Vessel Aneurysms in Posterior Fossa Arterial Venous Malformation. Ali, um, thanks for uh, agreeing to speak with me today. I really appreciate it. Can you um, tell me a little bit about the design of your study and summarize some of the results? Absolutely. So this is a, uh, a retrospective large study from a single academic center that uh, looks at experience over about uh, 20 years. Uh, in particular, we're looking at the incidence of uh, associated feeder vessel aneurysms in patients who have uh, intracranial arteriovenous malformations. In this large series, we looked at about 571 patients, and we divided those patients into supratentorial AVMs versus infratentorial, which is mostly a cerebellar location. And in particular, things that we look at were association of feeder vessel aneurysms. And the hypothesis is, is there a higher incidence of uh, associated aneurysm in the posterior fossa is that the what makes a posterior fossa AVM higher risk of a bleed. And uh, the results that we had was that we found that the incidence of feeder vessel aneurysms was really higher in the infratentorial location, which is about a 34.4%. That's a very alarming number. Uh, and that as compared to about a 19.5% in the supratentorial location. So it's clearly that there is a higher incidence of associated aneurysms in the posterior fossa. Not only that, but if you have an infratentorial arteriovenous malformation, they tend to have a higher hemorrhagic presentation. So about a 30% of those patients who had cerebellar AVM, they did present with hemorrhage as compared to 7.6% with the supratentorial AVMs. So if you look at the odds ratio, then you have an odds ratio of about a 5.86, which means that the likelihood of having a rupture from an aneurysm that is associated with a cerebellar AVM is 5.8 as compared to supratentorial AVMs. So this is a little bit of a different uh, disease, and clearly there is higher uh, risk feature, and it's much more dangerous lesions. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. So, um, so you not only found uh, there was a higher risk of those um, or feeding artery aneurysms, but and with the posterior fossa AVMs, but uh, there was also a higher risk of, of bleeding from those aneurysms. Is is that correct? Correct. I know those were a lot of um, studies for y you guys to go through. I, I mean, did you notice any difference in in sort of the size or morphology of feeding? artery AVMs and posterior circulation that might account for the increased uh, bleeding risk? No. So the the size itself was not an, a, a dependent factor. Just having okay. the, the, uh, the aneurysms in the posterior fossa seems to be a, a higher risk factor as compared to the supratentorial. So th there are other studies um, in the literature that have sort of looked at this topic a, a little bit. How, how do the results of your study compare to some of those studies? So we have looked at the uh, literature and we put a table in our uh, paper that kind of describes the literature review about what has been published. So uh, there is no data in the literature that does actually compare the supratentorial incidence of 
aneurysms as compared to infratentorial in association with AVMs. Yet there is a lot of data that does look at the associated aneurysms either in the supratentorial or infratentorial. So if you look at the supratentorial incidence of associated aneurysms with AVM, that kind of ranges between 7.5 till, uh, till 31.8%. Uh, and our number is 18.5, so we're kind of in the middle of that. And uh, when it comes to the associated aneurysms in the infratentorial, then the literature that we cited ranges from 17% up to 48%, and our numbers is 34.4%, which is also in the middle. But the, the, what's special about our paper is that we looked at the incidence of both the supra and infratentorial AVMs, and we, have, we were able to look at the odds ratio for homologic presentations for that. Do, do you have any hypothesis um, as to uh, why infratentorial AVMs are more prone to develop um, feeder aneurysms? Yeah, absolutely. So we have done some work on uh, supratentorial aneurysms that are associated with AVMs, and we have looked at the, uh, the velocities and the flow in the feeder vessels next to the aneurysms, and that has been published in a, in a different manuscript. And what we have found is that Patients who have associated aneurysms, they have a higher wall sheet stress as being measured and calculated by quantitative magnetic neurons and geography. So it seems that the driving force for development of the aneurysms is the higher wall sheet stress. When you look at the higher wall sheet stress uh, uh, formula, it is inversely related to the radius to the power four, which means that if you have the same amount of blood flow in a certain vessel or a tube, and you reduce the diameter, then, then the uh, Walsh's stress increases by a ratio uh, uh, which is proportionate to the radius to the power four. So if you reduce that by half, you most likely you're going to increase the Walsh's stress by 16 factors. So the smaller the feeder vessels, the higher the Walsh's stress for the same amount of blood flow. And if you look at all those AVMs in the posterior fossa and the cerebellar, majority of them, they have a very small vessels that are long stretch feeders from the pica, SCA, and these are really very small vessels as compared to the supratentorial where they have much bigger arteries from the MCA, PCA, and ACA. So the smaller the feeder vessels, the higher the Walsh stress, the more stress is on the artery, the higher the chance you can develop aneurysms. How do you feel that, or can you put the results of your study into context in relationship to um, some of the results of the Aruba trial? Right. So the what we are trying to say over here is that traditionally it has been described that the cerebellar location for the AVM is a higher risk feature. What we are trying to say is not only is cerebellar AVM a high risk feature, it's actually a very dangerous disease. It actually have a much worse natural history. And we're trying to say that maybe you should look at those a little bit differently. Maybe you should not look at the cerebellar AVMs as the same disease as you look at supratontorial AVMs who completely have maybe a completely different natural history. Maybe those patients in the posterior fossa have a way uh, much aggressive natural history and should be treated that differently. And uh, has that changed your practice at all at your institution? Uh, absolutely. So as you record from, from, the, uh, from the data that I just presented, about 30% of those aneurysms in the posterior fossa presented with hemorrhage. So they already 
are in the subset of uh, of patients who would need to have an immediate treatment because they have aneurysms associated with the AVMs. But if you look in general for all those cerebellar uh, AVMs, uh, uh, there is a very high chance that might develop also feeder vessel aneurysms in the future. And we tend to be a little bit more uh, more aggressive with their treatment if, uh, if the morbidity of the surgery and the embolization or the combined is relatively on the smaller uh, side. So where, where, uh, where do you see the future research in this area heading? The whole field of, of the treatment of arteriovenous malformation has been affected by a lot of data that has been published recently, specifically by the Aruba. But what I want to say is that uh, we have to kind of look at the AVMs back to the basics. We have to look at the hemodynamics of the AVMs. We have to understand a little bit more the flow in an AVM. We have to understand what is the role of venous stenosis. We should be able to have better understanding about what happens to the pressure in an arteriovenous malformation. What is the mechanism of rupture? I think there should be more research focused on the pathophysiology, the hemodynamic pathophysiology of the rupture of the AVMs so that we can actually select the patients more appropriately. Uh, the flow matters in an AVM. And because of that, we should be able to understand the relationship of the flow, uh, the velocity, the wall shear stress, the pressure, how does the venous stenosis work? Is venous stenosis a static disease or it's a progressive disease? All of those things, once we have a better understanding, we should be able to select those patients who are a higher risk and then we should probably offer treatment for the higher risk and for other patients who have low risk for, for rupture then we can follow those conservatively. Ali, um, thank you so much for agreeing to speak with me today, and congratulations uh, on this excellent work. I, I really look forward to uh, seeing more from uh, your group uh, in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.